his life was prophesied about in the Old Testament. A miracle baby. The scriptures say that he was sent from God. That he was full of the Spirit from birth. His ministry was to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he died an unfair death. Jesus said of those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, which will be where we get stay this morning. The gospel writer says this about John the Baptist, that in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Let's pray. Father, I just ask right now that you would bring a message to our heart that is beyond the words of man. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, and so I pray that we would hear your words, we would receive your teaching, that you would speak to what it is that we need to become more like Jesus. And Lord, we give you thanks for your living word in Jesus' name. Amen. John was an unusual dude, right? He's probably not the guy that you're going to invite to your Christmas party. Because when it comes to his dress code, it wasn't typical. You know, that he may come, but he's more than likely going to win, you know, the, the contest for the hairiest Christmas sweater, not the ugliest Christmas sweater. And maybe it was ugly too. His contribution to your potluck dinner that everyone's bringing food to would probably be something that only he himself would eat. Right? It's like honey roasted locusts and, and a plate of it. And I just imagine, have you ever seen this at a potluck where the only, well, you wouldn't know unless you know. But uh, sometimes, like, the only person that eats from that plate of food that was brought is the person that brought it. Like, that would be John the Baptist. Uh, half the locusts are gone already. And then here's John in the corner, you know, flossing with a cricket leg. And... Uh, and we'd probably be okay with even those things until we started to pray before we ate, right? And then instead of praying, John the Baptist starts going around shouting, repent, in everybody's face. And then that'd probably be the end of why we would have invited him, not wanted to invite him to our Christmas party. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen John the Baptist in anybody's holiday display. He's... He's never had a Christmas card with his name on it, nor do I know any Christmas songs that were about John the Baptist. And so when it comes to our idea of Christmas, he doesn't really fit. However, if there was ever a person who personified the coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
into this world, it would have been John. His entire life, his ministry, and all of his teachings are all centered around preparing for the coming of the Messiah. Today we're going to look at John the Baptist's life and how it should help us as Christians 2,000 years later to prepare for the coming of Jesus, to point to the coming of Jesus, and to be a voice for the coming of Jesus. The first thing that I want to talk about in his life is that his job, his entire life, everything that he was about was preparing. The scriptures that was prophesied about him and his word and what the gospel writers would have to say about him were prepare the way of the Lord. I like King James Version. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare. Everybody say prepare. Some of us are good at preparing and some of us are not so good at preparing. However, we probably have this in common. Every year, most people start preparing in advance for this one day. It's one day, that's all it is. It's one day out of the year. And most people will start preparing well in advance for that one day. We purchase gifts. We begin decorating our homes. We make plans as to who we might gather with for this one day. And then there's the question of the food, what kind of food, who's going to bring the food. There's questions of the goodies and what kind of goodies we eat. And there's specific goodies that are only for this type of year that we, we prepare for sometimes even the fun or the games that might be played or the songs that might be sung. I would guess that for the average person, there is no other day of the year that requires as much thought, planning, sacrifice of your money and your time, and possibly stress as the preparation of celebrating our coming Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to say in that all that we go through in the preparation for Christmas, that John the Baptist's preparation for the coming of Christ was so much greater than our preparation for the coming of Christ. John the Baptist literally prepared the way in each major moment of Jesus' life. When it comes to Jesus' birth, guess what? As a baby in his mother's womb, it says at six months that John the Baptist leapt for joy at hearing the good news of Jesus' coming. John preached conversion in the desert before Jesus ever even entered the desert. He baptized people in the Jordan River, including Jesus himself that set Jesus off into his ministry. And he gave his life in a gruesome death, foreshadowing the Lord's death himself in and when it comes to it, his entire life was a preparation for the coming of Jesus. And yet his concern was the hearts of mankind. His concern was the hearts of mankind missing Jesus. Because at this point, 
he could already look back and see that Bethlehem missed Jesus. Nazareth missed Jesus. Herod missed Jesus. That there would be an innumerable amount of people who missed Jesus. And to think that we can look back on a story and we might question, how did all of these people, from great people to small people, King Herod in his palace and the gatherings of religious in Jerusalem to a little town called Bethlehem, how did these people who had their eyes looking toward a coming Savior miss Jesus? It's easy for us to, to question and to pick on these people and, and wonder how they would have missed him. And yet, we live in a time frame of the in-between, where there is the coming of Jesus once again that we are looking forward to. And I don't want to be one of those people in old little town of Bethlehem that missed Jesus. I don't want to be one of those people whose pride and ego is sitting on a throne somewhere in Jerusalem and missed Jesus. I don't want to be so caught up in everyday life and have yet a religious mindset of the scriptures and know that he's coming and yet still miss Jesus. In general, people are not prepared for the coming of Jesus. As it was in the days of Jesus, so it is today. And so how did John the Baptist prepare people's hearts for the coming of Jesus? I got two points from this this morning. The first is probably the most common response that you would hear about the ministry of John the Baptist. That's A, his message was to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repentance is humbling because we have to admit that we aren't right. Even when we think we're right, we probably aren't completely right. That we miss it so many times in life. And repentance is more than just a one-time act, but it's a lifestyle. Now, I get it. Christmas is the season of love and peace and joy. And you're probably thinking that we don't need to hear this right now, right? Some other time of year, Pastor, maybe as we get closer to Easter, that would make more sense. But not a couple of weeks before Christmas, this message on repentance. Like we should be hearing about the mangers and the angels and the shepherds and, and the good news that a, a Savior was born in a little town of Bethlehem. And this is all true. But... It makes me want to point out something about faith. And not just any faith, but an enduring faith. It is impossible to be saved until you realize that you are damned. It is difficult to be raised up until you understand your position is best at its lowest point on your knees in humility and repentance. It is tough to receive a gift if you believe you already have everything you need. In life, you can't be satisfied if you have no hunger. And the hunger I'm referring to is the need for forgiveness, the need 
to be reconciled to God and the need to fill again the love that God has for you and I. Now, sin at its core, you can define it any way you want, but really what it's about is broken relationship. Broken relationship. And John wanted his listeners more than anything to renounce that sin of broken relationship, to be cleansed of of the stuff that fills our hearts and gets in the way. And then to prepare our hearts by making room for Jesus to come. And isn't that the song that we sing? We sang it today. And I don't know if people catch that when they sing it. You're wondering about this part of repentance, but it's probably in the top five of my most favorite favorite Christmas songs. And it wasn't even written to be a Christmas song. It's just become one. But that song, Joy to the World, what are the lyrics to that song? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Get the stuff out. Prepare so that when he does come, there is room for him in your heart. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sometimes when we hear that word repent, like it brings this negative connotation, but it does not have to be a negative. I, I think that when you hear the, you know, the street preacher standing on the corner shouting, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Y'all need to repent. Like, we hear that and we think this is a horrible thing, that this is a bad thing. But really, what does it mean by definition? Simply means to turn, right? Turn and see. Like, this is not a bad thing. If I'm going in danger, if my life is in danger, if, if I'm going in a direction that is leading me to death, and somebody shouts, repent, and you're like, turn. Oh, thank you for saving my life. Like, the greatest thing in the world is, is this direction. Whew, I'm so glad that I didn't continue to go in that direction because I would have died. It would have killed me. It would have been a horrible life. I don't even imagine what could have possibly happened. Thank God that there is the face of Jesus. Thank God that he was sent from heaven and died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank God that I can have abundant life. Thank God that I have eternal life. Like, to repent doesn't have to be this negative thing. It's actually supposed to be a really good thing. It's something that we should talk about in the Christmas story. It is something that we sing about, that we should recognize. The joy to the world starts with repentance, making room in our heart for Jesus. That's what that song is really about. You want to have that joy. You want to feel that Christmas spirit. You know what it starts with? Repentance, getting rid of the stuff that fills our heart and blocks us from having the fullness of Jesus inside of us from seeing that he is coming and that we are to prepare room for him in our hearts. It's not about receiving judgment. It's about receiving the gift of Jesus into our lives. And here's the other aspect of that, that when it comes to repentance, 
It's about learning what it means to decrease. To decrease. John chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. We've heard this before. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing. So the, the disciples are questioning John the Baptist because there's disciples leaving him and going to Jesus. And with what Jesus' ministry is doing, his ministry is increasing, and John's is decreasing. And they questioned him, and John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. What's John saying? He's like, listen, I'm not the one that's the bridegroom here. I'm just a friend. And you know what? When it comes to what's going on in the ministry of Jesus Christ and what's taking place and people coming to know Jesus and to receive Jesus into their lives, I rejoice over that. That this isn't about a competition of, of, of the biggest ministry. This is about more people coming to know Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so he rejoices over the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. John says, and John, who Jesus called the greatest, who was the voice in the wilderness to help prepare people's hearts, part of that preparation was that he must learn if Jesus is going to be seen and known by more people, is that he must decrease so that Jesus could increase. Decreasing is a part of a Christian's life. It's the understanding that, that we reduce ourselves in life so that Jesus can be seen more fully in our lives. Decreasing is humbling because we must admit that we are not first. We're not numeral uno when it comes to life that Jesus is above all, that he is first in life. And just as the days of Christmas are generally about an increase, right? There's an increase in spending. There's an increase in gifts. There's an increase in garbage. There's an increase in all sorts of things in life. There's an increase in love, typically. There's an increase in joy, typically. There's all of these increases that take place that aren't necessarily bad, but what's best is that the days leading to Jesus' coming are about decrease. Before Jesus came around, John was the best thing going. People flocking to hear his teaching and baptizing the masses and gathering of disciples, wanting to learn from him. But there came a time in his life when he made it clear that he is not the big fish in the pond. He's not the one who everybody's eyes should be upon. That this whole ministry that he's been doing, this life that he has been living, is not about him. 
He's not about, it's not a, he is not the Christ. He's not Elijah, he says. He's not the prophet. He's not the light. We need to be clear on what our identity is, who we are and who we aren't. And I say that saying this, even when it comes to Christmas, how many people in their mind, they have this ideal, perfect setting for their Christmas celebration. And so what do we do? We want to do certain things. We, we want to have our decorations be a certain way. We want to have certain foods. We want to have family and friends. Or we want to feel a certain way. We want to see certain things. And so we have kind of, whether we want to admit it or not, this perfect mindset. And we will do what we can to control things so that it lines up to our perfect mindset of the way things should be. And that's how we often are in life. And what we have to remember is that we're not the ones that are in control for those who are controlling. We also have to remember that when it comes to our lives and reaching certain people and being that voice that we are not the ones that are meant to change hearts. Like, it's I'm not Jesus. It's not up to me. And it should be that same way for you. You're not Jesus either. You're not the savior of your kids' world. You're not the savior of your parents' world. You're not the savior of your spouse's world. You're not the savior of your best friend's world or, or somebody that lives across the street. You're not their savior. I don't even know why you would take that on. That's not your identity to be their savior. You're not the light. But what you can do is learn what it means to live like Jesus and decrease in front of them so that what they see is Jesus in their life. The best thing we can do to prepare the way oftentimes is, is I always tell myself, Corey, get out of the way so that people can really see who Jesus is. The second aspect of this is we have to learn what it means to point to Jesus. And by pointing to Jesus, there was a time in the desert when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. And he said, here comes the Lamb of God, referencing what would take place in Jesus' uh, death, that he would be the Lamb of the world that would be slain for, or Lamb that would be slain for the world. So he did point to who Jesus is. But I want you to understand that before his finger ever went out, it was attached to his body. It was attached to his life. Everything that he was, everything that he taught, every aspect of him pointed to Jesus. There's, there's some things that I, I feel like are like irritants in my life. And that's when Christians show up and they just start pointing to Jesus like this, this, and this, and their life doesn't represent Jesus. They point with their voice, they point with their finger, and yet their life has very little representation of Jesus. Like the hypocrisy of making a scene of yourself so that people can see that you're pointing to Jesus publicly. But the truth is your life's a wreck. And it's a wreck because you didn't start with the first part of preparing your heart and making room for him. 
And the second aspect of that is when we do point, it should be that they little that the finger is the smallest thing that they see. What they see is the rest of us. And so as John was pointing to Jesus, it says this about John. Now, John himself in verse 4 was clothed in camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with what we're talking about, right? Except for the fact that John's life was a living testament to his mission of pointing people to Jesus. Verse 4 vividly describes John's clothing and his eating habits. What an odd thing to point out. But it, it was the fact that that's not how they dressed in those days. Listen, they, not everybody walked around in camel hair clothes with a beaver on their chest. And that was what they did, and they ate locusts for their meal, right? They dressed in clothes like that, in, in robes and different things. We know the attire of that era. Like John was intentional to dress like he dressed, understand that. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't because he was poor. It wasn't because he could have chosen something nicer. It wasn't because he didn't have the ability to go shop at Macy's. It wasn't because, you know, the preachers of that time wore fancy suits when they would get up on the stage and preach. It wasn't because, you know, somebody wouldn't at least help the poor guy out to have something nicer. No, John the Baptist was intentional. He was purposeful in the way that he dressed. And the things that he ate, the things that he didn't eat, this was an outward expression, right? Symbolized by an inward reality, which was that he had a radical commitment to his role as the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. Everybody hear me now? Jesus is coming back. Should it not be every aspect of our lives that points to Jesus and not just a wagging finger in somebody's face? He wore camel skins and he ate crazy food. John's choice of clothing was a garment of camel's hair with a leather belt and his diet of locusts and honey. What did that do? It set him apart from the cultural norms of his time. Eat what he wore and what he ate even set him apart from his culture at the time. That's how committed he was in preparing the way for the coming of Christ. That's radical. The death of Jesus when we receive him into our life is what? He's called us out of darkness and into the He's set us apart for his good purposes, for his good plans. We're to be set apart, but how set apart are we in our lives? His humble choice not only reflects his separation from the excess of the world, but it points to the higher calling in his life, a life dedicated to the Lamb of God. And I ask us this this morning in our preparation for Christmas. Should we not be embracing choices that set our lives apart from everyone else's celebration of Christmas? 
and not just on Christmas, but every day of the year? Should we not be mindful of our commitment to Christ and to what it is that will draw attention to his coming for his people so that we may point the way to him in preparation? Finally, with preparing and pointing to the coming Christ, I want to end with this. We're called to be a voice. Now, I felt it was fitting without us having planned it that we ended with the song champion and that voice of authority that we sing about that God has given us. In verse 3 of those verses, it says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. When John says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, he is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is at that time when this is written, he's speaking to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel had experienced this terrifying judgment of God, right? They'd been taken captive, enslaved. Their lives were miserable. They were serving people who followed after false gods. They, their lives were, were corrupted. They had very little in life. It was hell. And all of that was because they were rebelling against God in their life. They put their trust in false things of the world to give them hope rather than in God himself. They disobeyed God. And now they've been defeated and crushed in life. The temple had literally been destroyed and the people had been taken away to Babylon and into the desert. But what was Isaiah's message to the people? Yes, he was exclaiming to them, this is why this happened. You guys chose this, and these are the consequences of your sin. We all deal with the consequences of sin. But here was the message of the prophet in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 2, when he says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her war is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. What was the voice of the prophet? Isaiah was looking into people who were hurting, who were damaged goods, who had turned their backs on God, who had fallen away from him and chosen things that weren't of the Lord. They put other things first in their lives, and their hearts were full of stuff that had no room for who their God is. And yes, there was consequences for the choices that they made in life, but the message of the prophet was this, comfort. Comfort, says the Lord, your God. Like the war is over. The war is over. And your sin, your sin has been forgiven. And then 700 years later comes John the Baptist, fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah, saying the same thing to the same people. Listen, you followers of God. This wasn't a message to Babylon. Do we understand that? This wasn't a message to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. This was a message to the followers of God. And God says, just as Isaiah did, there will be one, John the Baptist, who will preach the same message to prepare the way for the coming of Christ, for the baby in a manger.
He was a voice in the wilderness calling out to people to prepare for the joy of salvation through the coming of Christ. Now, I know this isn't a very Christmassy message, but it is. Because the coming of Christ, which is celebrated in this season, looks forward to not only Jesus' first coming, his birth, but also to his second coming, when he will establish what is considered to be his perfect reign of peace and justice and righteousness over the earth, where he will wipe every tear away and bring an end to the war, an end to evil, an end to sickness, to grief, to incarceration, to pain, and to death. And so when we look in this Christmas season in preparing our hearts for making room for the joy of Jesus, we likewise, in a world of darkness, the wilderness of life, should be the voice of hope the voice of hope looking forward in preparation to the coming of Christ and pointing people to his perfect reign. Let us prepare for the coming of Christ in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending John the Baptist to prepare the way for your son, the fact that you included him in Old Testament prophecies, his life, his calling. Lord, I think of the boldness that he must have had, the courage that he must have had to stand in the middle of a society who was caught up in religion, whose hearts were full, and they were going to miss the coming of Jesus. To face the persecutors, the mockers, to face people who did not believe, to face people of the world who wanted him dead, to face the religious who would criticize him and critique him. He was fearless. Lord, I pray that even in this season that we would have that lifestyle of repentance, make our hearts right as we prepare, not just for Christmas season to gather together with other people, but make our hearts right in preparation for your coming, for your return. And Lord, may we be fearless in our voice to point people with our lifestyle to you. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are, for what you've done and what you're going to do.